a Podcast One production. Hey, I'm Matt Dwyer, and welcome to Sleep, where Professor Harriet Hiscock and Associate Professor Emma Shaberis from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute help you identify sleeping problems in your children from infancy through to secondary school and give you easy-to-understand steps to improve their sleep cycles and overall health. So sometimes we just can't get to sleep and one of the few things that can help us is melatonin. But what actually is melatonin and how does it help us sleep? Yeah, so melatonin is a hormone that's um, secreted by a little gland in our brain called the pineal gland, and it helps us get off to sleep. It doesn't help us stay asleep. That's a really important thing for parents to know because often they'll use it and it works to get their child um, off to sleep at the start of the night, but their child may still wake overnight. And we know that when it becomes dark melatonin starts to get switched on in our brain. And um, that can be even in babies, in little babies, you find melatonin being excreted in their urine and in their saliva. So it's it's there and playing a part in starting our sleep schedules right from the beginning of life. Um, so a lot of children we see will try the behavioural strategies that we've talked about first um, for insomnia or, you know, some delayed sleep. But sometimes they just don't work and you've given it a really good go for two or three weeks. And if that's the case, that's when we would recommend starting some melatonin for them. So when we do start them on melatonin, when is the best time to take it? Yeah, well, it can be used in a couple of different ways. So one is to try and reset that body clock to make you sleepier early. And if you're going to use it that way, you actually try and give it about four or six hours before your desired sleep onset. So it's quite a lot earlier. But the most most common one is it's used as a sort of a hypnotic effect to get kids off to sleep or adults. And that's when you give it an, um, about an hour before the desired bedtime. So the actual dose is, we don't have really good information and good data on this, but in a primary school age child, you might use between one to three milligrams an hour before bedtime. In secondary school adolescent child, you might use up to six milligrams before bedtime. But going much beyond six milligrams is unlikely to have any you know, additive effect at mm. all. Mm. Yeah. Another buzzword that is always thrown around with melatonin is serotonin. Yes. Can you explain what that is? Yes, serotonin is a precursor to melatonin. So melatonin, as I said before, is a hormone that the brain makes um, and it makes it using something called tryptophan, which is an amino acid that gets converted into serotonin and then serotonin in turn gets converted into melatonin um, and secreted by the pineal gland in the brain. So they're, they're sort of related but on, on a pathway of manufacture, if you like. Can you overdose on melatonin? No, you can't. If you take too much melatonin, your body <laughs> will probably just um, excrete it, so wee it out, so you can't. You know, some of the side effects, again, it's it's thought to be really very safe. In animal models, it has shown to affect puberty, but in the longer-term follow-up studies of humans, that hasn't been shown to be the case. But having said that, the long-term follow-up studies really only go out to about 14 months, so it's not really, really long-term. There are some studies that have said maybe does it increase seizure activity in children known to have seizures, but again, it's not really clear-cut. And by and large, it's really very safe 
to use. We tend to recommend using it for a period of months rather than weeks. Um, there's no point just using it for a week or so and then stopping it. The child tends to go back to having insomnia and problems sleeping again. So it's something we might use for three months or so and then start to reduce it, either by reducing the amount you give to your child every night and then starting to give it every second night, every third night, etc. But it really is a second line therapy once you've tried um, the other behavioural strategies and making sure you've got those healthy sleep habits already set up at the mm. start of the night. Mm. And does age affect melatonin levels and how much we should be giving? Yeah, doses? look, it does. And most dosing of medication in children is all about body weight. And um, so, you know, if you weigh less, you give less of the medication and it's the same for melatonin. So certainly in the primary school age, one to three milligrams, adolescents, three to six milligrams. But um, there are higher dosage formulations available for adults. But really, there's probably not a lot of evidence that you need to take more than that. You might get up to nine milligrams, I've seen, certainly in, in adults. Mm. Yeah. On getting to sleep easier and, and staying in that deep sleep, can we oversleep? Not normally with melatonin because really it just helps you get off to sleep at the start of the night and it doesn't seem to have any hangover effect in the morning. So you should hopefully wake refreshed and ready to start your day and your children should as well. Um, it's also used a lot by people when they're adjusting to jet lag as well because it has um, an effect at the start of your sleep onset, but it doesn't carry on to the morning at all. Mm. What foods are best for sleep? Well, there's not a lot of evidence uh -huh. around uh -huh. this, but there's a lot in the popular media and um, people would talk about tryptophan and serotonin-containing yeah. feel-good foods. They're sort of market buzzwords. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, anything from milk, chicken, eggs, salmon, salmon those sorts of things. So there's lots of buzzwords around yeah. that, not a lot of evidence for it, really. I think the main thing still is avoiding the caffeine, you know, in your diet or your child's diet after 3pm if you want to help get off to sleep. Mm. Is it bad yeah. to eat just before bed? Uh, it's bad in terms of going to bed on a full stomach, which makes you feel uncomfortable. Mm. And there are recommendations to have a small meal and really having breakfast and lunch as the bigger meals of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And should, yeah. you, should you only really take melatonin after seeing a specialist? Uh, yes, because really you should be trying the behavioural strategies first. And if they're going to work, they're going to be a much more enduring solution and nice that you don't have to take something, even though melatonin is a naturally occurring hormone, which we think is you know safe. Um, but it's always better to go with the behavioural strategies first. One of the issues um, a lot of parents will ask me about is where do I get melatonin? And in Australia, it's not available over the counter. You have to get it on a prescription. There's two sorts of prescriptions. One is on our PBS or, you know, pharmaceutical benefits scheme. And that's for something called Cicadin. That's a long acting slow release form of melatonin, but it's not licensed for children. It's really licensed for older adults with insomnia. So that's available on the PBS and that's a two milligram formulation. So mostly for children, we end up going through our compounding pharmacists who will make up, you know, drops or tablets for children, which might be one milligram, two milligram, three milligrams. There are a number of online melatonin um, pharmacies because if you travel to the US or Europe, you can just buy it over the counter in a pharmacy or even in a supermarket without any script. So I do tell my families if they've got someone going overseas to stock up 
because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, if they're going to go online to make sure that they are getting the dose that the doctor has prescribed and to avoid any homeopathic, naturopathic um, formulations where they just say melatonin but they don't actually say how much mm. is in it. And I think that's important when you go to the health food shops who also can sell melatonin. They often don't say how much is in that um, formulation. So avoid that and make sure you know exactly how many milligrams you're getting on your prescription. As an adult taking melatonin, are there signs when you should start to taper it off? Well, I think, again, it's um, if you find you're getting to sleep really easily after a few weeks, minimum do it for a few weeks so that your body clock gets into that rhythm of that earlier bedtime. After a few weeks, you might start to taper the dose off as an adult. But I've certainly had adolescents, you know, start to taper it off and stop it and then they just can't get to sleep. So we restart it again. I do have some kids, and I don't know if it's a placebo effect or an actual effect, who have come off it and there'll be the odd night they just can't sleep and they go to the bathroom, take their melatonin out of the bathroom cabinet and, you know, 20 minutes later they go to sleep. I don't know if that's placebo (laughs) or not, but the occasional use like that is, is probably okay as well. But generally you're on it for a few months before you start weaning off it again. And again, there's good information on the Sleep Health Foundation. Their tip sheets about melatonin are useful for families as Mm. well. Would you take melatonin for smaller naps throughout the day? No, (laughs) absolutely not. So it's really about um, sleep onset for the night time and not for smaller nap times. Mm -hmm. Um, For many reasons, including we don't want to take away that drive to go to sleep. So one of the traps that adults and kids with insomnia can get into is thinking they'll just have a nap during the day but that takes the edge off their drive to go to sleep at night. So it's definitely not recommended. Are there any harms for long-term usage? In long-term, we don't have a lot of data beyond about 14 months of use of melatonin for in children. And generally what's shown is it seems to be fine for these kids. There were concerns about interfering with puberty, but that doesn't seem to be borne out in the literature to date. So generally, I think weighing up the pros and cons, it's better to get good night's sleep with melatonin than to go without melatonin and get a poor night's sleep. What sort of other medications are there besides melatonin? Well, often um, parents will come and ask about the use of valergan or phenergan, which are common antihistamines. Um, number one, they are not recommended and not to be used in um, a baby under the age of one year, and that's because of concerns about SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome, so we don't use it. Very occasionally we'll use it in preschool children where they are particularly oppositional and feisty and the parents have tried a behavioural intervention and the child has just been so upset or angry that they've cried for, you know, hours and it just hasn't worked. So sometimes in consultation with a doctor such as myself, I'll recommend that they use Valergan or Phenergan for a short period of time and that means a week and we start off at a relatively high dose and we reduce it over each night. And that needs to be done in conjunction with the behavioural strategies. If you just use the Phenergan or Valergan, as soon as you stop that, 
then the child will go back to their bad sleeping habits. It's just a Band-Aid effect. But if you use the two together, you can take the edge off the child protesting at the start of the night and that can work really nicely. But that's got to be done in conjunction with your, you know, your paediatrician or your GP if they, they feel confident knowing what to do. So they're the most common medicines that I might use. A lot of people would still use something called clonidine, which is actually a blood pressure medication but has a side effect of making you sleepy and that can be used at night. Again, it's does have side effects. So this is one that I would try and leave as a last resort. Um, the main side effects being that it can um, cause rebound high blood pressure and its children have been known to overdose on it as well. So it's got to be something that is locked away high up in a cupboard uh, and obviously only given under medical supervision. And Harriet, with those examples of when you'd use those medications, would you try melatonin first or in what situations would you skip straight to, to yeah, these kinds of medications? that's a really good question. I think if I had a toddler who was very oppositional and defiant and we were using, for example, the checking method, then I would actually start with phenergan or valergan first because I know it's we've got, just got a short-acting period of time, so a week that we're going to be doing this. If the issue is more insomnia in a primary school or a secondary school child, then I'd start with melatonin first because the valergan or phenergan is just to take the edge off the child being, you know, really refusing or resisting the behavioural strategy. Whereas melatonin is more for a kid who's trying to get to sleep. They just can't get to sleep despite relaxation or mindfulness or bedtime fading and that's actually probably they're just not producing enough melatonin in their brains and that's what we need to help them get to sleep. I think it's interesting. I went to the International Paediatric Sleep Conference last year and somebody was presenting on a big study where they went into family homes and made the environment consistent. So they blacked out all of the windows from a certain time in the night so that they were controlling the amount of light that the children received. And then they measured their melatonin um, onset that was naturally occurring in their brains. And the amount of variation that was found in that study by, even though the kids were in a really similar environment, was just startling. (laughs) So it was like some kids that were starting at around 5.30 in the the afternoon and for other kids there onset wasn't until 10.30 at night. Mm. It was just a, it was just such a huge variation. huge variation. And I think that's, in some ways, that's reassuring because I see a lot of, you know, kids who they're not frightened of anything. They're not anxious about anything. They're not worried about anything at school. They just can't get mm. to sleep. And I think these are the kids who are not producing enough melatonin or they're producing it at 10.30 at night when they actually need to be asleep at 8.30 p.m. And that's when it's great to be able to give them melatonin to help them get enough sleep. Can you become addicted to it? Uh, You can't become addicted to melatonin, but I think psychologically some children do become quite reliant on it. And so what I've done in those cases is slowly wean them off the melatonin after some months and use um, a herbal preparation called valerian instead, which is available. You can speak to the health food store people or your, your pharmacist about that. And we've sort of taken them off melatonin and put them onto this instead and then slowly weaned them off that. And that that's just anecdotal. There's no scientific evidence behind that being the right pathway. 
You mentioned that melatonin isn't addictive or it's, you know, not bad for children. What about normal, like regular sleeping tablets? Yeah, so the the benzodiazepines um, are a big no-no generally in children and adolescents. So whilst adults might use them short term if they're having, you know, issues or they're adjusting to jet lag, um, they're certainly not preferred in kids they do have the potential to become addictive and that's a real issue then to get them off those medications. So melatonin would trump any of the regular sleeping tablets in in children and adolescents. Sleep was presented by Harriet Hiscock and Emma Shabaris and produced by me, Matt Dwyer. Audio production done by Darcy Thompson and our executive producer is Jen Goggin. For more apps, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app and listen for free.